Carol, you talked about that family engagement piece being for kids and students and all this stuff. Now, part of what I get to do here is I get to see what's happening back there. What I love is when I see the adults grabbing the markers and drawing the pictures and all that stuff and seeing, like, I've had adults show me their work. Uh, which is great fun, and it's really good work. Um, I hope y'all are doing well. My name is Fred. Uh, I am the lead pastor here, and so thank you for joining us. Happy 4th of July. Um, I hope y'all have uh, great fun plans today and this weekend. Um, Here's what I hope happens today. As we go through Nehemiah chapter 8, I hope you're inspired to walk in more faith and trust in Jesus today than you had yesterday, and even better I hope you're inspired uh, to have more faith and trust in Jesus tomorrow than you do even today. And if that uh, happens, uh, and if that's what you want, if that's what you desire, then congratulations, you have found your people. Whether you're in person or whether you're online, uh, we really are a church for you no matter who you are or where you are. So thanks for being here today. It's great uh, to see all of y'all. Like I said, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, so go ahead and open your Bibles uh, there. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, so just kind of scroll through it. You'll see Ezra and then Nehemiah, and we're in chapter 8. And as you're turning there, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been to a place that had great customer service, right? Like, like, not to mention any names, but maybe Chick-fil-A, right? You pull up to Chick-fil-A, and you see the line is stretched around the corner, and you think, I I don't have time for that. Like, I'm going to be here forever. Five minutes later, you're driving out with your food in your hand, right? Uh, Or or maybe you um, have something at a local store, uh, locally owned. You know they close at 6. You're on your way. You give them a call, and they say, hey, no problem. We'll wait till you get here. And they wait. They don't close at 6. They wait for you to get there. You're able to come in, get what you need, and leave. Like, when that happens, what do you do? Like, when you experience good customer service, what do you do? Like, like it genuinely makes you happy, doesn't it? It makes you feel cared for. It makes you feel, makes you feel special. It makes you want to tell other people about it, right? There's this joy in you because of it. This overflowing joy sometimes that you want to tell people. You go to Instagram. You go to Facebook. You take a picture. You smile and do a little selfie in front of their sign. You talk about what a great service they had. Let me ask you this. Does that describe your faith? Like that kind of of joy, that kind of overflowing joy where you want to tell others about it, does that describe your faith in Jesus? You see, there's something, there's a saying uh, with business leaders that goes something like this. It says that the systems you have produce the product you've got. All right, the systems you have produce the product you got. Here's what that means. If you have a business that makes round paper plates, And you've got a machine that makes round paper plates. Every time you turn that machine on, you know what it's going to make. It's going to make round paper plates. If you want oval paper plates, you have to adjust the machine and you have to change the system to get something something different. Right? Good businesses always track both the product and the process. They they track the excellence of their products. They track the experience uh, of their customers. And our faith isn't a business, right? I'm just using that as an illustration, but, but what our faith produces needs to be paid attention to, right? What our faith produces needs to be paid attention to. And the reason, the reason we're talking about this, if you don't like what your faith is producing, maybe something in your system needs to change, right? Because there is a system 
of our faith that produces joy. There is a system that produces this, this overflowing joy. Now, now, here's what I'm proposing today. I don't think your faith needs a change to be in something other than Jesus. I don't think that at all. But I do wonder if there are parts of the system of our faith that need to be tweaked to allow us to experience the, the life that Jesus said he has for us, right? This not just eternal life, but life here and now that Jesus has for us. Well, in Nehemiah 8, we're going to see a system of faith and we're going to see what it produces. And I believe that this system that we're going to see when put in place for any believer, whether you're brand new to Jesus or whether you have been walking with Jesus for decades, I believe that you will have a product that produces joy and a joy that you want to tell others about. Are y'all curious what this is? Well, let's, let, let's find out more. Right, we spent last week in, in chapter 6, uh, and we saw the wall completed. And in, in Nehemiah chapter 7, you'll notice we just passed right over that. And here's why. You know how much I love reading names out loud, right? Look at Nehemiah chapter 7. It's all names, right? Most of, it, most of it's names. The first few verses aren't. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to do a Facebook Live, because there's actually some good truth there in Nehemiah chapter 7, uh, but it, it's not enough, really. I didn't want to make a whole sermon out of it, and I didn't want to try and fit two sermons into one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Facebook Live sometime next week. Uh, since y'all are here, this is a perfect sampling poll. I'm going to give you three choices, and you raise your hand and tell me, if you were to engage in a Facebook Live, which time slot would you choose? If I did, Don't raise your hand yet. I'm going to tell you the three, and then I want you to do it. And, and you, those of you online, feel free to comment too. If I did a morning one, like at 9 o'clock, that's one option. If I did a noon one, uh, like for lunch, or if I did one like at 8 o'clock, after, after dinner, after everything settled down, which one of those three, you can only pick one, right, because I'm just getting a feel for, for what to do here. Which one would you do? Raise your hand if you would do the 9 o'clock one. All right, got a few. Raise your hand if you would do the noon one, the lunch one. Okay, a few more. Raise your hand if you would do the 8 o'clock one. Oh, okay, I guess I'm doing a Facebook Live at 8 o'clock. And then you can watch it anytime on demand after that on Facebook, all right? Um, <coughs> um, so I do want to talk about Chapter 7, and so I'll do it there, all right? And so, so we'll get that. Now, in Chapter 8, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see the meeting of Ezra and Nehemiah. And when they come together, we're going to see this amazing system that they create together. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. It says, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. So the, the wall has been built. Um, and, and, and this water gate isn't a Nixon reference for those of you who, who are wondering. This water gate, is, it's a spot on the east side of the city. And it's believed that this water gate was the only source of fresh water for the city. Like it's where the fresh water came in, which is why it's called the water gate. So, so what's happening here, a lot of times in, in Jewish thought and in Jewish teaching, um, and you see Jesus do this all the time. He, he will teach in places where the backdrop behind him speaks to what he's teaching about right like like uh, when Jesus says he is the light of the world he's doing that during a, a ceremony at the temple where they turn all the uh, all the all the ambient light is turned down and the only light 
uh, is from this one place in the temple. So that when he says he's the light of the world, he's got this image behind him of, of, of this light coming from the temple. Meaning that he is the one that gives light and darkness and he's the one that gives life. Well, I think that's what's happening here. Nehemiah and Ezra are going to pull the people together with the water gate behind them. Because it is the only source of fresh water. Because I think what they're about to do gives this image of this brings fresh life to us. Right? This brings freshness. And so let me ask you this. Anybody need some freshness in your faith lately? Right? Anybody feel kind of stagnant in your walk with Jesus and in your walk with God? Then, then if so, then, then, then keep paying attention with me because what they're doing is they're showing you this is going to be something fresh. We keep asking this question during this series. What is God stirring in you? What is God rebuilding in you? Right? That brings freshness to you. Right? And so God's stirring will create this, this fresh feeling in your faith, or at least it can. And I think this is, that's the picture of what God is stirring in you. It's fresh and it's not stagnant. That's why I think this question of what is God stirring is such a good and powerful question. Let's look at the rest of verse 1. It says, it says And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seven month. And so, so, so what's happened, here's the scene. All the people in Jerusalem gathered at the water gate, right? There's this fresh water pouring out behind them, and it's on a particular day. Now, dates are mentioned in Scripture for a reason. They're, they're bookmarks in history for us to see, right? And, and this bookmark, it says, on the first day of the seven month. In the Jewish calendar, that's the Day of Atonement, which is why this, this is important. It's a day of fasting. It's a day of prayer. It's a day of marking a new year, which is also why having fresh water behind them is, is important because they have a fresh new year right ahead, uh, ahead of them. And, and it's kind of like our new year. It's, we look back and learn from the past, and we look ahead with hope for the, for the future. But this day that they're doing centers on the reading of God's Word. That's when he says, bring out the book of law. It's the, it's the scriptures that they had. And it was the center of what they're doing. It was their blueprints. If you remember us going through when we talked about God's word being our blueprints. Right? Well, look what happens next because we're going to see the purpose of their reading. In verse 3 it says this. And they read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning into midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a whole bunch of names. You can read those on your own if you like. There were some people on his right hand and some men on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book. In the sight of all the people, and he was above all the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great Lord, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces uh, to the ground. And also, another list of names that you're welcome to read at your own leisure. That, that group of, of people helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So, so let me describe what happens here. There's a word that's mentioned three different times, and it's the word understood. Right? 
that as, as Ezra was reading the law, as they were reading the law, they wanted people to understand. And I love what's going on here because Ezra is on this stage made for this purpose. Six people on one side, seven on the other. There's, there's, there's 13 there. He opens the Bible and he begins reading. And when he does, I can almost picture this. When he's reading, I can almost picture these pauses because, because the, the people show their respect. You right? They stand up and they say, amen, amen, which means I agree, I agree. That's what it is. So as God's words being re- read aloud, they're agreeing with it. And then it says that they have their hands hands raised and their heads bowed and it's this position of posture so there's this there's this response from the from the the nation from the crowd from the congregation that they're agreeing with God's word and it's moving them to worship and prayer but but what I love about this is Ezra and Nehemiah they're not looking for a response from the people right they're wanting something deeper they're wanting understanding and they want to make sure that the people understand the word of God that they're not just raising their hand and saying amen, and they're not just praying for a response, but they want understanding. Y'all, I was, I was at a Bible study in Dallas one time, and Tony Evans was teaching. If y'all know Tony Evans, he's, he's an African-American pastor in Dallas. He's an incredible teacher of God's Word. And as he was teaching, uh, there was, there was uh, some people saying amen, amen, amen. And I've never seen this happen before. He, he made this point, and a guy said, amen, hallelujah, and he stopped. He goes, listen. He goes, if you're going to say amen in here and you're not living it out there, I need you to be quiet. Right? The guy didn't say amen anymore. Right? (laughs) But his point was, you need to understand this out there, not just say you agree to it in here. That's what Ezra and Nehemiah want. And and, and in chapter and in verse 7, you see what they do is they send uh, people into the crowd. And here's what they did during these pauses uh, as, as, as they're reading God's word. Uh, the, these men would, would be out there and make sure that people understood. Here's what they did. They had these small groups right going on. So people could ask questions and so they could teach and so, so they could unpack the word of God. They read from God's word and then they had these little small groups to make sure everybody understood what was being read. Now, we do this similar thing called growth groups here. That's why we have them, because we want you to understand the Bible that you have in your hands. And that's why we call them growth groups. We want you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. And what these small groups do is they gather together to study God's Word together. And and here's what, what, what I find particularly interesting about the way we do growth groups, is that there isn't a curriculum to follow, Right? It's, it's you engaging with God's words, you going through the process of, of Bible study methods to observe it, interpret it, apply it, and then you come to group sharing what God taught you through his word that week over a particular text. And in that group, we want you to understand God's word together. We want you to care for each other. We want you to pray for each other. It's the same thing that they were doing. Now, here's, here's the other reason we do this. Right, if I can take it aside for just a moment about why we do growth groups. At Fellowship Asheville, we, like, none of us are under the illusion that someone's going to be born in this church, grow up in this church, and live to a ripe old age and die attending only this one church. People move, and we understand that. Our idea is that if while you're here, you can learn how to study and understand your Bible on your own, then you can go anywhere. 
And you can engage in any church because you now know how to, how, to, how to read and how to study and how to understand God's word for yourself. That's why we do it. Now, we often say around here that life change happens better in circles than in rows. And, and what we mean by that is engaging here on Sunday morning, whether, whether in, you know, sitting in rows uh, or whether sitting at home online or wherever you're watching from or listening from, like that is good and we want you to do this. I truly believe this is part of the discipleship process the proclamation of God's word, but something happens when you're in a small group of people engaging in God's word together that doesn't happen in this place. It's completely different. When you live life together and you pray together and you care for each other together, and you'll hear more about growth groups as they kick off, and and, and you'll hear more about them in August. They'll kick off in late August or early September, and like Carol said, this summer we're focusing on reconnecting. Uh, That's why we have the the summer get-togethers, and so please join us for those. We would love to have you do that, and all that information's on our website, but let's keep reading uh, and see this this response to understanding God's Word. In verse 9, it says this, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all people, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. And so uh, the words of the law. And so so what's happening is as they're understanding God's word, they're, they're weeping about it. Right now, why would they weep when they hear the word of God read? Let me ask you this. What happens when you understand the word of God? A lot of times what happens is you experience conviction. You realize where you failed, where you have sinned, where you have made mistakes. You see, understanding God's word causes conviction. It's part of it. Now, conviction is defined as this this formal declaration of someone's guilt. Right, particularly in a criminal in a criminal offense, that's where you see the word conviction used the most outside of the church language. It's it's, it's where a, a verdict of a jury or a judge or in a court of law declares someone guilty. And so, conviction is someone or something pointing out your wrongdoing. Now, a few years ago, gosh, I don't even know how many years ago now. Stacy and I took a trip to D.C. Right, we drove. On that trip, I got two speeding tickets. Right, the first one I got. I mean, we hadn't. We were like in Virginia, I think. We were. We weren't too far away, um, and it was like a two-day trip. So my record was 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 pretty outstanding. I thought um, uh, it was a two-day trip. We got the, the first one. Like I'm coming on the highway. I see the guy with the radar gun. I look down, completely busted. I knew it. I pulled over, waited. Like I waited for him to catch up. Like I knew I had been busted. Right. No defense needed. No conviction needed. I got it. Got the ticket. Done. But the other one, the other one, I needed some conviction. Because let me tell you what had happened, right? You know, a story's always good when you start off with, okay, what had happened was, right? So we do this trip. We have a great trip. We come home. Two weeks later, I get something in the mail from the Department of Transportation in, in, in Washington, D.C. And it is a picture of me driving the car and them notifying me that I was speeding and got a ticket. A picture. Now, I read this story of somebody being really cheeky that when he got a picture of, of himself and a ticket, he sent a picture of, two, of $100 cash back to them. And then somebody at the police station also was a little cheeky and sent back a picture of handcuffs. And so um, uh, I decided not to go that route. But I mean, there was a part like I needed someone to declare my guilt, not a camera. 
right? And so I read the back of the ticket, and it said, if you want to dispute it, here it is. And so because when I read it the first time, I thought they were saying that I was in a construction zone, and the picture clearly showed I was not in a construction zone. So I went through all the steps. I wrote out a formal, like, like defense of my case. It was a $150 fine, too. And I'm like, I'm not paying $150 for a picture. Somebody's going to have to do some work for this to point out my guilt. Did all the work. I sent it in in the appropriate amount of time, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. And it said, if you don't hear a response, like, the ticket will be dismissed. And so as that day got closer and closer, I kept getting more and more joyful. I called early on. I didn't want to call later because I didn't want to clue them in, you know. So I called early on. They said, yeah, this is a process. Just keep waiting. Okay, great, great, great. The time, the time, the time. And that 90 days ended right after Christmas. Guess what I got right before Christmas? A letter from them where somebody walked through all my defense clearly stated where the posted speed limits were, clearly stated that the ticket isn't actually in a construction zone, that I just misread it, and, and it was just a regular old speeding ticket for going too fast. They showed me where on the intersection the speed limit was posted. They showed me how fast I was going, like, like they clearly defined my guilt for me, to which I wrote a check for $150, said thank you very much, and, and, and paid the fine. They left no question of my guilt, right? I was convicted. And they declared my guilt to me loud and clear. This is what conviction is. And sometimes we feel that, right? And we know. It's like I saw the radar, I knew. But sometimes we need someone on on the outside to point out our conviction, uh, point out our wrongdoing to us. We need someone else looking at our actions and declaring us wrong. That's what's happening here. Only the someone was the Word of God. It was the people reading the Word of God and bringing understanding. The Word of God was bringing conviction. You see, God's word is this outside judge looking at us in our heart and showing us where we are wrong and showing us where we are right, right? But it's giving us conviction. Let me ask you, have you ever experienced this? Have you been reading God's word and, or maybe even hearing a sermon of someone preach God's word and been like, ouch? Like, I didn't, when, when did it say the book to Fred on here? Like, like, this is getting real, real, real fast, right? Have you ever experienced that, that kind of conviction? Here's the deal. There's something in us that doesn't particularly like conviction, at least in me, because what conviction shows is that something needs to change. Right? And we don't particularly like to change, do we? We like our systems. Even if we don't like the product, we like our systems. And what conviction does is it points to something in our system that needs to change. And this is why our system is so important, because look at their response to conviction. Because y'all, here's where I think we get it wrong and they get it right. Look at their response, because I think their response will make all of us question our system of faith. In verse 10, it says this. It says, then they said to them, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to your Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, and do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. 
And so here's that word again, understand. And so what did they understand about their conviction? What did they understand about the, 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 the day of atonement? You see, they're in the midst of conviction, right? And they're weeping at the wrong that they've done, and at the sins that they've committed in their lives. And what are they told to do? They're told, listen, go have a good meal, right? Spend time with your family. Spend time with your friends. Now, it seems really odd, doesn't it? Because you would expect the leaders to stand up and, and use this point of this holy conviction and say, okay, what are we changing? Right? I need you to go do better. But they don't. They say, hey, rejoice. Rejoice. Because you see, the Day of Atonement ended with a feast. It was a, it was a fasting and prayer, but then it ended with a feast. And they were told to go enjoy the feast. Now, how could they do this? Because the Day of Atonement is about God's amazing grace is why. Because the Day of Atonement is about all your wrongdoing, all your mistakes, and all your sin being paid for and being sacrificed for so that you don't carry it anymore. You see, our Bible isn't just about conviction. Our Bible is about forgiveness. It is about the gospel. It is about, it is about freedom from the sin that causes your conviction because you see, as they were reading God's word, they weren't just seeing the, the wrong that they did. That's what we call sin, by the way. They were also seeing a God who redeems those who do wrong. Right? They were seeing the story of God unfold in front of them. And it wasn't that they were mess-ups and, and that they made mistakes and, and, that, and that they sinned. Like, like, here's the deal. If you're honest with yourself or honest about the people around you, that's not a shocker. Right? You know you make mistakes. You know you sin. You know you do things that you don't want to do, and you know that you don't do things that you do. But what you see as you read the scriptures is you see a God who redeems those who do wrong. Right? You see a God rebuilding a broken people as they rebuild a broken wall. That's what, that's what you see in this book. And y'all listen to me. This story is echoed from the very beginning of our Bible. The, the, the story of creation in Genesis and the story of, of, of sin and Adam and Eve. Like Here's the, here's the great thing about this story of, of creation is that when you see this story and you see God create this space for Adam and Eve and he gives them all the things to do and one thing not to do, we know the story, what's the one thing that they want to do? The thing that they're told not to do. And that's exactly what they do. Now here's where this story takes an amazing turn. In every other story of creation, because major religions have these stories of creation, that's where God gets angry. And that's where God punishes people. And that's where God separates from people. And that's where God does all this. But not in our story. In our story, guess what God does after they sin? He shows up for a walk with them. He shows up in the garden. Actually, that's the first time you see God in the garden with Adam and Eve is after they sin, not before. You see, God knows that they've sinned. But he shows up. And he's the one that draws them out. He says, where are you? He's the one that covers up their shame. He takes the leaves that, that they tried to cover it up with and gives them something permanent, or at least much more permanent than the leaves. You see, the, the point of, of the creation story isn't just that we sin. Like I said, no shocker, right? I know myself, I know y'all, no shocker. 
right? Y'all know me, no shocker in that story. But the shocker is we have a God who sticks with us. And as the Bible continues to unfold, you see these covenants laid out where God says, if you do this, then I will be with you. And they say, yay, we will do that. And then the next page, we don't do that. And God still shows up. Next week, I get to walk you through one of the weirdest texts in the Old Testament about the Abrahamic covenant with God and animals cut in half and all that. It's great. Don't miss it. Be back next week. Right? But, but what you see time and time again is that God shows up in our messiness to show us how to live. This is why Jesus came. He came into a dark world to bring light. Right? Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Of who I am, I am the biggest. He came into our dark world to show us the light and to show us that in his light there is life. We have a God who sticks with us. That's the good news of our gospel. And so understanding God's word causes conviction. But here's where the system changes. That conviction leads to celebration. It leads to celebration, y'all. We have been forgiven. For all the wrongdoing, for all the sin, we have been forgiven. And so does this describe your faith system where conviction leads to a celebration of forgiveness? Well, let me blow your mind a little bit more because look at what happens next. In verse 13, it says this. And on the second day, the heads of the fathers of the houses and all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Seventh month. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees and make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. And in their courts and in the, in, in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and the square of the gate of, of Ephraim, all the assemblies and those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in booths from the days of, jo- of Yeshua, son of Nun, to the day of the people of Israel, to the day the people of Israel had not done so. And so what happens is they realize there's this, this festival that they're supposed to celebrate that they're not, called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's this time where they would make these, these, these like lean-to tents and they would live in them for a few days to remember the time of wandering for the nation of Israel. And it was, it was a celebration of, to the fullest extent of, of remembering that, that they too could follow God. Just like the nation of Israel did. But, but here's what happened. They realized they weren't doing something. And they decided we got to do this. Right? It's called obedience. And so understanding God's word causes conviction that leads to celebration. Right? Now here's the mind blowing part. That creates obedience. Right? That, that's creating obedience. Isn't that completely backwards to us? We try to put obedience next. Right? We go conviction, obedience, and celebration maybe. Uh, let's save that for heaven. There'll be a party there. Right? We just try and go from, from conviction to obedience. And when we get this system wrong, it steals our joy. It steals our freshness in our faith. Because when we jump from conviction to obedience, celebration isn't necessary. And I'm wondering if this statement seems truer to you than the ones I've put up there before. That understanding God's word is how I obey. 
Right? Does that seem true to you? Understanding God's word is how I obey. I think it's an incomplete system. I think understanding God's word is how you celebrate the forgiveness of your sins so that you can obey rightly. You see, because notice in that statement, there is no celebration of forgiveness. And when this is our system in life, it, 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 it drains the freshness out of it. It just leaves despair. It leaves drudgery. It leaves a whole lot of hard work. And what that produces is stagnant water, not fresh water. And so let me ask you this. What would happen if your conviction led to a celebration of your forgiveness? What if that was part of the system? Because oftentimes it's not in mind. My conviction leads to, to obedience and just trying to do better and trying to create more willpower, right? But this system, the system we see here is, is completely different and it creates a completely different product because look at what happens next. In the rest of verse 17, it says, and they were greatly, what's the word? At the very end of verse 17, they were greatly rejoicing. They were greatly rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. And so what did this, this type of obedience produce? Joy. Joy. Great joy. So understanding God's word causes conviction, leading to celebration, creating obedience, and joy. Now, here's the deal. Joy, when you look at this word scripturally, it, it has lots of different definitions. Joy is actually mentioned 171 times in the Bible, and it's translated from 30 different words. 30 different words that we get the one word joy or joyful from. You know what that means? It means joy looks different in different circumstances. Sometimes it is exuberant happiness. Sometimes it is a calm in the storm. Sometimes it is joy in the midst of sorrow. It looks different in different situations. Now last Sunday we had our discovery dessert. We had, we had uh, I think, seven folks there. There was one part in particular which was really sweet. Uh, one of the ladies there uh, shared that she had just celebrated her 50th anniversary of walking with Jesus. She'd been walking with Jesus. Well, Jesus had been walking with her for 50 years, right? And she could barely hold back the tears as she talked about it. Because she said, here's what I've learned. Is that God has been with me every step of the way. Every step of the way. And she told us that that, 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 that type, like, like, y'all, I want you to hear that because like she gets it. Like that type of joy is an understanding of God's relationship with her through Jesus. That God has been with her every step of the way. And it is a celebration of forgiveness. Now this, this type of forgiveness, right, is what's important because our faith, our faith is a celebration of forgiveness. It's a party of grace and freedom. Now, now this is what I'm adding, adding up there on our set today. Um, it's not, not a wizard hat. Um, it is a party hat. I mean, it could be a wizard, but man, that is, a, that is an exuberant wizard. Um, uh, it is a party hat. Because here's my question. If, if our faith is a celebration of forgiveness, do we have a party hat kind of faith? 
right? Do we celebrate our forgiveness? Is it like this party had? Is it like that, that dear sweet sister that said, God has been with me every step of the way for 50 years. He has never left me. You see, church, listen to me. Here's the first way to experience this joy, this pleasure found in God and following God. It's only found in saying yes to Jesus and responding yes to Jesus' offer of life and life abundantly and, and, and putting your life in his hands. And for some of us, we've already said yes to Jesus and we've already said we are Jesus' followers. And for us, it is remembering the truth of the gospel that we have been forgiven. And when conviction comes, that sin that you feel convicted over, it is sin. And there's power when you confess it as sin and you turn away from it and you realize that that sin has already been forgiven. That you don't have to do anything to receive forgiveness. It has already been given to you. And that sin is true. You have been forgiven today. You have been forgiven tomorrow. And you have been forgiven to other, forever. And so our communion today is a celebration of what Jesus has done. It's a celebration of the fact that all of our sins have been forgiven, which is why we can confess those sins freely. It's why we can repent of them freely. It's why when we gather in groups, it's not a shocker when, when I sin against you and I come to you and go, hey man, I did this and I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Because God has already forgiven me. You see, our communion today is a celebration of all that Jesus has done for us. And so what I'd like you to do, and, and, and Andrew, if you'll come up here and, 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 and play on the guitar for us a little bit, y'all, we're going to do something that we haven't done in about 17 months. You get to come up and get your own communion, right? Because I want to give time to reflect, and I want you to, to reflect on the fact that you have been forgiven. And so what we'll do, if, if you're new to fellowship and new to communion, it, communion is a time for those who have said yes to Jesus. And so if you are a Jesus follower, this table is for you. You don't have to be a member here. You need to be a member in the family of God through Jesus. And if you haven't said yes to Jesus, and maybe today is the day that you do that, and this step is your first public declaration of your faith in taking communion. And so I ask you, if you haven't said yes to do Jesus, would you do that now? And if you're watching at home, go ahead and grab those elements and you can take them with us. Now the scripture also say that if you have a relationship that, that's damaged, if you have an offense that you have caused and you haven't tried to make it right yet, go do that first before taking communion. And so if you need to step out and make a phone call or if you need to, need to step out and have a conversation, do that if you have caused the offense. And if you haven't tried to make it right, then, then, then do that before. And so the way communion works these days is you just come up and you grab one of those little chalices. They're all gluten-free. Um, the, the, the bread will be on the bottom and the wine will be on the top. I mean, not wine, it's grape juice. Uh, just so there's no shocks. Because um, if it was wine, that would be a little shocking, wouldn't it? Um, uh, but um, uh, go back to your seat and we'll take those elements together. So I want to give you some time to, to meditate on the forgiveness in Jesus. And, and I have a verse for you that I want to put up on the screen that you can use to meditate with. And then when you're ready, come on up and grab the elements. Go back to your seat. And in a few minutes after everybody has grabbed theirs, I will lead us through taking the elements together. So the verse is this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of God's grace in which 
which he lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight. And that's from Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, if you want to look there in your Bible. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come to this table, may we remember and and may it sink deep into our souls that we have a God who sticks with us. And we have a God who sent his son for us so that we could have a deep and, and personal and good and right relationship with the God who loves us and the God who made us. And Father, may that be the core part of our system of faith, that we have been forgiven. And the weight that we feel of sin, the the things that we carry aren't ours to carry because you carried them to the cross. And that was the weight of our sin that, that, that weighed you down so that we can be free. And so I pray that we celebrate and we enjoy that freedom found only in the cross of Jesus and proved to be true by the resurrection. And as you rose from the dead to, to new life and to show us that there is a way to new life, may we live in that new life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Whenever you're ready, come on down and take the elements, and and then we'll take them together. And as you hold these in your hand, do continue meditating on the fact that of Jesus' death and resurrection for your forgiveness. This morning I was reading in the Proverbs, and Proverbs uh, 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is supreme, which I love that. Like, no question, you know, like, let's just clear that up. Wisdom is supreme. And, the, and the, the writer of Proverbs says, Therefore get wisdom. And then he goes on, and he goes, Even though it costs everything you have, get understanding. And our task here is to realize that our understanding cost someone everything he had. It cost Jesus his life, right? It cost him suffering that, that Lord willing, none of us will ever have to experience. It cost him pain. It cost him agony. And yet he did that for you and for me to have the forgiveness of sin. For, that we could have a taste of heaven that he knows about that is completely foreign to us. And so that's why we celebrate communion is the fact that Jesus, it did cost him everything. And we celebrate this so that we can understand the forgiveness that's been given to us. And so go ahead and open up the, the bread part. And let's take it together for his body. Go ahead and do the juice. And his blood was shed for us. Let's pray. Jesus, um, your bread and your wine taste much better than this. Uh, because it gives life. And we're thankful for that. And so, Father, may we, may we live in a place, as we go into worship, may we continue celebrating your forgiveness for us. And as we leave here today, may we realize that we truly are forgiven. In saying yes to Jesus, our sins have been washed away and are remembered no more. 
And Father, may we celebrate that and live in that. In Christ's name I pray, amen.